Okay, I have breaking news. Breaking news. I have breaking news. Guess who I just got a Facebook friend request from? Rachel. Steve. Uh-oh. Yep. Steve's back on Facebook. Oh, no. He just... Oh, no. I give him six months. Before what? He fails again. Oh, before... Steve, what are you doing? This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Wait, did I hit that at the right time? Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> I was I'm just going to wing it, too. I'm not so. used to being in control of the cowbell, so I don't even know when the when the cue is. I know. Uh, it's normally Steve's gig. Uh, my name is Rob Minot. Uh, joining me today, of course, is Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello, everyone. Uh, and yeah, you're listening to the AT Banter Podcast, as if you have not figured that out yet. Well, then, well, I guess they have. I was going to say welcome to our new listeners, but... yeah. And, you know, of course, welcome to our existing listeners. And you're right, too. They've yeah. figured it out. They case you thought, listening to. <laughs> case you thought you clicked on the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, ooh, neither of us are Joe Rogan. No. And uh, we will not be talking about anything that Joe show. Rogan uh, talks about. You ever, you ever actually you ever listen to that show? Never. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen his name, but I've never followed him. Yeah, he has some inter- interesting interviews. Yeah. He gets some, he gets some big names. He gets like, Elon Musk. Well, he's a much bigger name than we are. <laughs> well, maybe. You don't know. You want me to get Elon Musk? Ask him about accessibility of his self-driving vehicles. Yeah, like, let's see. Yeah, let's see what he has to say about accessibility. I'm sure he has some interesting things to say. I'll work on that. Uh, well, before we launch into anything too much, let's uh, tell the fine folks what we are doing today. Today, we are speaking with Eric Damery, the Vice President of Software Products Management at Vispero. Mm-hmm. Makers of what? Makers of JAWS and ZoomText and Fusion and CCTVs, all sorts of good stuff. Braille technology. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, that will be interesting. Yeah, it'll kind of get us caught up to speed on what, what's been happening at Vispero and what might be coming down the pike. Yeah, I think you got a few questions for him. A few. <laughs> Um, before we get there, though, uh, a couple things that I thought we could talk about. Um, we have exciting news. Well, yeah, we do. Tell the people what our exciting news is. We are now the Canadian distributor for the BrailleMe 20 cell Braille note taker. Wait, is it a note taker or is it a Braille display? It's both. It's both. It has a very basic note taking ability as well as a 20 cell braille display. So you can use it with NVDA, voiceover, iOS, um, Android, so braille back. So yeah, very, very slick, very small, very portable, lightweight, good battery life, about 10 hours. Yep. Very, very crisp braille, very nice braille. Uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing about this though is that it uses a different type of technology uh, to drive the braille uh, that's able to make it a little bit cheaper. So. I feel like that's the big, the the really important component of this is that it's just, it's nice to have something 
in a different price range uh, than normal um, Braille displays and note takers. Um, yeah. You know, we just need a, it, the market needs a low to mid range device like this badly because, you know, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 is just so much. Like, I, I, I certainly couldn't afford uh, any sort of device like that. Well, even a 14 cell Braille display is more expensive than the Braille Me. You know, we're selling the Braille Me at $750 Canadian, you know, under $1,000 for a 20 cell Braille display slash note taker. You know, you, you can't beat that price. Yeah. 14 cells are, you know, double that. Well, almost double that. So, yeah, you know, check it out on our website at canastech.com. Oh, look at you plugging it already. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> it's commercial. Yeah, it is, it's, it is exciting. It's very small. I, I think it's portable, that, uh, you know. I'm, I was pretty pretty sold on it when I had it on my desk for a couple of days. And, and believe me, dear listeners, when Ryan doesn't like something, <laughs> even know. if we're carrying it, he <laughs> lets us know. That's I'm not right. going to name any names. Nope, can't do that. But... He, Ryan's a straight shooter, so if he says something's good, it's good. When it comes to products, you know, if it's, and again, you know, if it's not something I like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not the right product for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But it just means mm -hmm. I don't like it. So yep, I like the Braille Me. Everybody should check it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? You know what? Actually, speaking of self promotion, uh, the other thing I, I should I, I want to talk a little bit about is uh, the show. Um, you know, and what's kind of been going on behind the mics. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about about uh, about the show since the new year, and you know, we're kind of looking we're kind of looking at ways that we can, you know, improve the show. We're always, you know, we're always interested in in trying to sort of you know up our game. You know, it's been it's coming up to four years we've been doing this, and uh, you know, I think back to when we started when we had no idea what we're doing. And then compared to now, which we still really don't have any idea what we're doing. We're still just three guys in a basement with some microphones, yep. you know, doing our thing. Um, you know, I guess I guess what I wanted to sort of say um, and talk a little bit about is just that, you know, we are looking at some some possible format changes in the coming months, question mark, maybe weeks. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. I, I guess what I'd like to do is put it out there for people. If, if you know, if if they are, they do have some suggestions as to what they might want to hear or a, a format change. You know, feel free to to drop us an email. Um, you know, especially right now because you know, again, we're looking at at it pretty seriously and, and looking at um, trying to to improve the show, anyways. So, um, you know, if you got a suggestion, drop us a line. It can't hurt. Um, you know, I think that one of the big things for, for me, what I would like to try to do is, is certainly engage the, the audience, engage the community a little bit more um, so that we're not just kind of talking at people. Um, you know, we want we want to you know, we want our listeners to, to have a, to, to participate in our conversations as well. Um, so live show. Yeah, I know you're big on that live show. I don't know. Live stream. I don't know how well we would do without editing, man. I, we can try it. We'll talk. I didn't realize that was one of your suggestions. It always has been. Oh, God. Well, you know, it's just one. Of the, it's another thing to try. Yeah, you know, for sure. For fair flops of flops. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, and like you said, you know, if people are interested in sending us some suggestions... 
definitely send it yeah, along. Feel to free. Cowbell at atbanter.com. You know, we're open to just about anything and it may or may not make it into the show. So. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, look for that in the coming weeks. Um, hey, we got an email. We did get an email. We got an oh. email from a listener. Yay. He deserves a cowbell. Oh, shit. <laughs> there you go. Woot. Leo, that's for you. Thanks for sending us your message. Uh, let me just read her out here. Hello, gentlemen. I always enjoy listening to your podcasts. Your most recent one with Karthik was most interesting. Uh, so you now he's referencing, uh, it was last week? Yep. Last week we talked mm -hmm. to Karthik, right? Yep. Yeah, Karthik Cannon uh, from Envision, who uh, about the Envision glasses. Yep. Uh, he goes on, Karthik and his team have really developed a powerful app, and it will be interesting to watch how their partnership with Google Glass goes. I hate that. I hate Google Glass so much. <laughs> I hate saying that. Initially, cost will be a determining factor for many when it comes to putting out the money. What is most interesting is the work done by Karthik's team to give us a constantly developing app with many features. Smartphones will become more and more the norm for users in the future, even replacing for some people their reliance on computers. Very true. Uh, then there are wearables. Their partnership with Google is certainly one worth watching and will be interesting to see where other players go. I hope that Apple might emulate what we have here with Karthik, but I have the feeling that Apple has its own plans. I do hope that Apple will give us equivalent apps and glasses. Time will tell. As they say, stay tuned. Keep those podcasts coming, Leo. Very nice. Thanks, Leo. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that Apple uh, is... is it, d Apple always just dances to their own tune. Um, they're doing their own thing. Um, I'm sure that accessibility will be um, a part of that. Yeah, but like I said last week, you know, I, I think Apple is going to come out with a, a pair of AR yeah, you, smart glasses. Yeah, I think yeah. AR is the direction these companies are going in. The nice thing about Apple, though, is, you know, they have the accessibility baked in and yep. have for years. So if the glasses are based off iOS, there's some huge potential there for accessibility. Sure. Um, but we, we don't know yet. So. It's true. But, I mean, the, the benefit of, of Google Glass is that, uh, you know, they're, they're ahead of the game. They're at sort of at the front of the pack because that is a product that that has been around for so long, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's such a, a good platform um, for developers to to work on. And I think that that's you know that the fact that they do have that head start is is I think they're going to be the first to market with a real mainstream wearable pair of smart glasses I, I really do i don't think i think apple's too far behind to really no i don't think apple's that far behind either it wouldn't take much oh you don't know. think so i do um, i mean i think that they're still i mean they haven't really i mean they haven't really even come out with any sort of announcement what they're doing so i think that yeah. they're there I, I would i would guess they're still a year or so from even Announcing, I don't think so. I think this year at their WWDC conference, you know, we're we're gonna hear something. Um, well, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe they're just they're waiting for the the conference to to make the announcement. But I mean, still, even if they do, um, you're probably still looking at you know a year, oh, six sure. months to a year. Yeah, they might show some at CES next year, but you know, as to being publicly publicly available. Yeah, it's there's yeah. still a ways away, yeah. and I feel like Google could could pull that trigger at any point. 
I don't know, I think they're just biding their time. Maybe they're just getting enough developers on board that are developing enough products or developing enough apps, rather. Um, who knows? But I, I think that I think that Google is probably poised to be the leader, at least initially. But I, but in any case, you know, I really do think that uh, that Envision, you know, that I think they made the right choice um, to pair with with um, Google Glass. I think they're, they're like I said, they're going to be ahead of the back. I think that you know. I mean, they're going to be the ones that are ubiquitous, at least for the first year or two, of of the the big wearable, the mainstream explosion. wearable. Yeah, yep. Yeah, mainstream wearable. You know, we did talk about other other form factors, right? Like the OrCam and you know, the other proprietary glasses that are out there. But leveraging the mainstream, you know, definitely gives you a lot more potential moving forward. Well, sure. I mean, just think of like you know, think of what the what the phone market would be if we lived in a world where, say, Apple. You know, and and all the other de- uh, the Android developers didn't have accessibility baked in, mm-hmm. um, and that the idea of a of a talking smartphone was a proprietary phone. Like you, you as a blind person, you'd have to go and you'd actually have to go buy a special phone right. that actually talked. You know, the the market would be very different. Yeah, and those do exist for the, for, they, for that demographic that want that. But the, they do. Yeah. But I mean, just the life is so much better when yes. you have accessibility built into a mainstream product. Right. Yeah. And that's I think that that's what we need for a wearable. We need we need a wearable that's a mainstream product that also has accessibility built into it. That's Absolutely. just that's just the ideal. We don't want proprietary. Um, right. Yeah. Wearables. AT wearables. So, agreed. Good. That's a that deserves a cowbell. We're agreeing on something. <laughs> See, maybe that I think maybe that's what we should do as a segment on the on the new show. What's like, that? Review? Where we just argue. Well, we do that, and you always edit it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is kind of true. We don't always do that. Just think right. back to those those lunchroom conversations that we used to have. That we used to argue. Maybe people would like that. We just have like, hey, well, now we argue is, for 10 minutes. That's, that's the new idea for the outtake show at the end of the year. Just all the argument edits you cut out <laughs> of the show. There's <laughs> not that many. There's really only there's 12, really only a few. 13. <laughs> all right. We can have listeners like write in suggestions for topics. <laughs> to argue about? Yeah. <laughs> Pop tarts or wagon wheels? Go. Pop tarts. Well, see, now I have to take a wagon wheel, there, but I was—I want pop tarts. But see, I always—I always joke with you. I mean, you were on the debate club in high school, so that yeah, but a bit I was of an horrible. Unfair, I sucked. Yeah, well, I whatever. Did. I did. We didn't even have a debate club. <laughs> you, yeah, but you're still at a population of twelve. I know. <laughs> This is Rob Minot, co-host for the world-famous assistive technology podcast, AT Banter. And I want to break in here on the show in order to tell you about a pretty amazing product that our parent company, Canadian Assistive Technology, has started to carry. It's called the Canute 360, and it's the world's first multi-line digital braille ebook reader. Now, the Canute 360 was developed by and with the blindness community, which makes it unique. And it makes reading digital braille ebooks affordable, enjoyable, and practical. You see, the Canute 360 has, as you may have guessed, 360 cells, which is basically nine lines of 40 characters of braille. 
This gives the Canute 360 a distinct advantage when it comes to reading braille because of this multi-line capability. Now the Canute 360 supports all six dot braille codes and is ideal not only for books, but for math, charts, tables, and even music. And this makes it the perfect choice for the student in your household. And there's even more good news. With its proprietary technology, the Canute 360 is less expensive than most other single-line 40-cell Braille displays on the market at only $3,355. For more information on the Canute 360 or to order yours today, just head on over to the Canadian Assistive Technology website at www.canastech.com. That's www.canastech.com. T-E-C-H dot com, or you can call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. That's 1-844-795-8324. And now, back to the show. Joining us now is Eric Damery, Vice President of Software Product Management for Vispero. Hi, Eric. Are you there? Yeah, I am. How are you? Doing well, thank you. How are you? Good. Well, listen, we want to thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day and, and talking to us. Um, we're, we're excited to actually be talking to someone from Vis Vispero. Yeah, it's good to be here. So why don't we start off just telling us maybe a, a little bit about yourself and a little bit of how long you actually have been in the industry, because I get the feeling that it's been a while. Yeah, I, uh, I found this industry back in 1993. Um, I was in the process of kind of looking for a career change. I had finished a college degree around 1990, and I didn't really land on anything that I enjoyed. So in 93, I was looking for stuff uh, that would be enjoyable. And my dad, who was a, um, a blinded veteran, had gotten some equipment from Ted Henter's company, Henter Joyce. And they were the Arkenstone dealer at the time. Uh, Arkenstone was the company that distributed Open Book. Of course, and a lot of veterans got that for scanning and reading material. Uh, so that was the first version of Open Book that he received. And when he was going to get the computer, he asked me to come to the house to help and make sure he'd be able to use it after they left. And I was pretty impressed with the independence that you created, and I got pretty jazzed looking at it. And I thought, geez, it would be awful nice to actually work in a space like this that helps to contribute and, and do something good rather than work on accounting software right. <laughs> or anything like that. So I went and, and uh, contacted Ted and his wife, Mel, and um, went in and met them the end of 1993 and started working for them in January of 94. And that was one year before the Windows version of JAWS was released. The DOS version, of course, had been out since about 88. So I came in in the end of the JAWS for DOS time um, and, and just before the Windows one started. And, and I always... I always remember back that I kind of learned how to run Windows with a screen reader rather than a mouse. And so that always helped me um, have a little bit more understanding than many sighted people that 
that use screen reading because I really learned Windows from a keyboard. Right. Well, I was saying that to Rob yesterday about, you know, having you on the show, Eric, and how you're a sighted JAWS user and you probably are a much better JAWS user than a lot of blind people who have been using JAWS for, you know, 10, 15 years. Like, you, you know the product inside out. You've been in it so long. Is it is it the the giving people the independence and the freedom to, you know, use computers that, that keeps you in, in this industry? It is. You know, it's... I, Having been around the industry a long time, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it is unique in the sense that I don't see a lot of people that come into the business and stick around for more than a year and leave. Um, there are those that came in and got right out, but there aren't that many people, it seems like, that came into this business and then, and then took off. A lot of people change True. hats. They work in different companies. Mm-hmm. But uh, lots of people stay in this business, whether they're visually impaired mm-hmm. or not. They, they tend to stay in the industry and because uh, I think, you know, it's like a family. And when we get together, yes. whether it's at a CSUN technology show or, uh, you know, uh, NFB or ACB conventions each July, we see a lot of the same people. It's like coming home and we all know each other. Yeah. The people that work in the industry, everybody knows everybody. And. And uh, we're all, we're, at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's our experience as well. Uh, I mean, even just on a personal level, um, you know, uh, between the, the three and the four of us that, you know, that, that are sort of form, form our current partnership, um, it's the same thing. You know, they, we're, we all, you know, had that crossroads that we came to where we could have picked a different industry. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, we all, we all sort of chose this one because it's just, it's such a rewarding industry to be a part of. Yeah. And it's changed a lot. Uh, I'll tell you back in, in the 1990s, I can remember we we used to go to the CSUN convention at the LAX Marriott hotel there, which was a pretty small venue. And the exhibit hall usually covered two rooms and there were very, a few big businesses that you would, you know, you didn't really see Microsofts and Googles there. You saw lots of mom and pop companies, and um, and at the end of the at the end of the day during the convention at night, all the vendors, everyone would get together and and uh, whether it be dinner or party or whatever, but everybody kind of hung out together and and enjoyed each other's company and. And uh, you know we were we were small businesses when I started with with Henter Joyce. I think there were about nine or ten people in the business, and today now we're under the uh, umbrella of Vespero with all these companies, and you know we're over four hundred people, and it's a, it's a lot different. So I wanted I wanted to step back a little bit and talk about screen readers in particular, especially in, in that during that time frame when you first came on because it must have been a very interesting time because the, the you know the early to mid 90s that was also when um, the personal computer really started to become a thing um, more and more like they became affordable and and you know almost every household started to actually have a uh, a personal computer so that must have really caused a little bit of a of an explosion for in, in terms of the the need for 
something like uh, a screen reader like JAWS. Is that what yeah. you guys sort of saw firsthand? Yeah, it, it it did, and actually, you know, as as the as the GUI interface, as we call it, as Microsoft Windows was starting to come in, and and everyone realized that jobs and their daily use at home of PCs would go a different route than the DOS text-based right. solution that screen readers, um, you know, had had. I won't say easily, but much, much, much more easily than the GUI interface. Uh, DOS screen readers were able to interact with lots of different applications, and, and that wasn't too complicated. But Windows, uh, of course, was graphical and mouse-driven, and people were really petrified that they were going to be losing careers and losing jobs. And I know we released JAWS for Windows in January of 1995, later than people would have liked, but sooner than we wanted to. It wasn't ready. Uh, the first six months, we had very little stability, yet the consumers were just clamoring for it because they knew they had to get ahead of the curve if they right. were going to keep their jobs. So uh, that was a, uh, a difficult time, and, and there weren't any what they call APIs um, that we could tap into to try and, and do things, so we injected ourselves into the video chain um, to try and keep track of what's being sent to the screen and build our own little off-screen models that we refer to it as a, basically it's a database of what's going on and what window's on top and what text was there and did we remember. And oh yeah, by the way, let's hope we don't crash their computer. <laughs> so there was a lot of that going on, and it was very dangerous times. And there were, yeah. you know, it was it was tricky, and there was some really interesting people. Uh, there was a Canadian named Custitian, you guys may have remembered, um, out of the eastern side of the country, and I forget Window Bridge was the product they created. And he was really, that was really the first Windows screen reader that got released, I think. Uh, there was another one called ProTalk, also out of Canada. Mm -hmm. And I forget, the, there was a father-son that had ProTalk. Um, and then one of the early adapters, one of the guys that really created the off-screen model that helped to mentor the development uh, of JAWS was Jim Thatcher from IBM, who had done the OS2 screen reader. And so there was a lot of uh, really interesting people back then uh, inventing, you know, a solution to try and get around a pretty big problem. So it was fun. Do you guys have a, a museum there at Vespero where you can actually go back to like a, an IBM 300 GL running JAWS 3.2 and Windows 95 just to see how far you've come? <laughs> you know, we, we, we moved... Um, about a year and a half ago, we moved out of the second facility that we were in. We, we had left the original building that I was in with Henry Joyce um, in 1998. We moved into this one location in St. Petersburg, and we stayed there until about two years ago. And as we were making the move to come to this new facility, we were going to be leaving our offices. I won't say plush offices, by the way, <laughs> but at least we had an office, and we were coming to a more open office atmosphere with much less space. So it was time to 
purge a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> it was funny going through the file cabinets and yep. finding all the old cassettes. Oh, three and a half inch floppy disks. And everyone's saying, you've got to save this stuff. You've got to keep this. And uh, it's like, no, it's time to retire some of this. So I let a lot of it go. But we do have, we did keep some of the older equipment around. And mm-hmm. We have set up here. We were in a beautiful facility now in Clearwater. Uh, with a nice view of the top of Tampa Bay, and in the office here, they've got a uh, up in the lobby area. We've got all kinds of equipment out. It's always fun when when someone comes to visit our office, and and they're waiting for you. And of course, they can't stand themselves. They have to get out <laughs> and walk around and look at all of this equipment, and then ask you about everything when you get up there. So, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that had to have been such a stressful time to to try to be developing something like a screen reader because, I, I mean, I had a, I mean, I think my my first personal PC, I think I got maybe when I was uh, in around 1995, maybe, and let me tell you, people who may not remember this time because they weren't born yet everything crashed your computer. It didn't matter what, like your computer just crashed just sitting there. Um, so I can imagine something as complex as a screen reader. I, I mean, uh, that blue screen of death must just have been your, you know, you must have just seen it in your dreams. You know, I did. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was, I, I can, I know it was version 1.21 didn't crash <laughs> right away. I remember the version, and it was June of 1995. That's funny. <laughs> so if it was, if you were running a PC with JAWS for Windows prior to June 1995, I guarantee you, you saw a blue screen. <laughs> <laughs> and but things got better. Yeah. And and uh, people were anxious. Uh, and. You know, we spent a lot of time on the phone with customers and, and trying to, to sort things out. And, of course, all the different video cards and video drivers and all of these things played a role in it. And poor tech support people. I mean, yeah. My hat goes off to the, you know, I, the guys in the early days. Well, and I do know as a distributor for Freedom Scientific Products and, and having to talk with the tech support guys down there, like, you know, the Mike Tyndalls and Jim Ellsworth and so on, you know, kudos to your support team and and whatever training they go through because it was very very rare times that they weren't able to sort me out so i appreciate all the effort that goes into they they are some of the hardest working guys in the industry and i'll tell you that you know you think how much what what training do they go through where their training is they're all users yeah they all fought through this stuff and they just love doing it and and they share information with one another and you know they help support each other and if they've and if they're stuck they don't hesitate to walk down and and find a developer or find me to try and help me get them connected with the developers so we can sort through the problem so there's a lot of a lot of close communication going on in the company but those guys are on the front line and they usually figure it out before before the development people do right yeah, and I think that that's, you know, I, I think the one thing that I'd like people to take away from this uh, is just this idea that, you know, we're, we're so used to uh, screen readers now just working. 
Like we just, we almost take them for granted now, but you know, there was a time when all this stuff was, was being developed and there were, there, there, you know, there was sort of the, sort of the dark middle ages of, of, in, in terms of development when it must've just been a slog because not only did you have the, um, the sort of the hardware technology changing on almost a monthly basis. So, you know, they're constantly coming up with new processors, new memory. Uh, you know, it was, it was like a, a renaissance of, of, of hardware where you were constantly, um, people were constantly upgrading their computers because uh, the technology was changing so fast. What was that time like for you guys? Well, it, it, was, uh, it was difficult because not only were you wrestling with that, with, with the video and, and, and new drivers that would come out and change things, but it was really the applications. Um, and not everything in an application was something you could get access to. In the early days uh, of the 90s, one of the things that kind of helped to, to drive the innovation in the industry, I think, was this um, dueling windows that had gotten developed and run by a few different guys in the industry. Uh, and and these, these events would happen at CSUN and at Closing the Gap, and the different companies that made screen readers for Windows would get together, and there would be a list of tasks that you would have to accomplish, and each company would get an opportunity to try and accomplish the task. And, uh, and so the tasks were going to be, you know, simple things by today's standards of opening a file or running a spell checker or selecting and deleting text or going into an Excel spreadsheet and trying to do something in an Excel, in, in an Excel spreadsheet. And half the uh, struggle of, of doing the task was that the screen reader couldn't really do it right. So it was up to the user to innovate and find a, a, a good way of getting around uh, the technology problem and finding another way of getting it done. And, uh, but, but that, that, time when we were doing those kinds of things uh, I think helped to to drive the industry because it kind of forced the developers and the product management people to go in and look at the daily tasks and just try and get some of the basics to work right. And I, I can remember when Ted Henner and I would create tutorials to try and teach uh, Windows with JAWS for Windows and we would go to a recording studio on a Monday, thinking, oh, we'll knock this out in a couple of couple of recording sessions." <laughs> and about Wednesday afternoon, you'd realize we haven't actually recorded anything <laughs> <laughs> because every time we tried to do something, we would find something that wouldn't work right, and Ted would start scripting, or we'd get on the phone <laughs> with the developer to start changing stuff, and. It was funny because it was at a re professional recording studio that wasn't too far from our office in St. Pete, and the guy, he just got used to us, and he knew when we would book the studio and come in, he could go get a cup of coffee and relax because <laughs> we wouldn't be getting done for a few days. But at the end, it worked, and we were able to create audio recordings in the beginning, um, the lack of professionalism on those recordings, the it kind of came across to users that this really is 
you know, an imperfect science. We're not any better at it than you are, and we can make mistakes with you. And I think that kind of helped a lot of people realize that it's not going to be that easy and they're going to have to learn their way around. And, of course, then Windows changes. And when, when we went from, I remember when we went from Windows 3.11 to Windows 95, there was a massive panic from people because right. they were, it was like they were used to their memory, their muscle memory and how they got around in Windows and what they had to do. And, and when 95 came along and changed that, it was, uh, it was kind of scary times. It's like, you know, you get used to living someplace and you know how many steps it is from the bedroom to the bathroom and so forth. And then you move and you have to learn a new location. And, and it's just a, it's a struggle, but boy, you get through it. And today we're up on Windows 10 and I couldn't even look back to Windows 311 or something. Oh, really. yeah. I mean, Windows 10... We just know how to get around it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean that you, you're absolutely right. I mean, the operating system that was an, another component that was that was constantly changing. And yeah, I mean, I remember that jump from Windows 3.1 to Windows 95, and it, it's it's it was a massive jump. You know, probably the 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 closest analogy in recent memory uh, was that jump from Windows 7 to Windows you know, eight, <laughs> although we kind of forget about, let's just not talk about eight, but so that jump from windows seven to windows 10, where it was like almost like a complete change in, in the way that the operating system worked. So, you know, you guys are sort of had to deal with that too. Yeah. And when they went from the, the traditional menu system and applications to the ribbon menu, right. Um, that was a, that was a big struggle for a lot of people to get through and, and probably still is today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so all that being said, you know, you, you guys, you guys fought the wars, you know, you made it, you made it here to 2020. So what's, what is development like these days? Is it, is it easier? Have had, do you guys sort of, you guys have figured out the, the secret sauce, you figured out the recipe. So is it, is it now more about adding new features or do you guys still f find that you are like just playing catch up to all the different apps or to what windows doing or what, um, or, or what the, the actual hardware is doing? Yeah. So, so it, it, first of all, it's so much better in the sense that uh, the basics kind of work. And so a lot of the things that we're trying to overcome today are you realize that this is, some of it is pretty advanced stuff. And for an average user that wants to get on the computer and launch their browser, as long as you can make sure they're not using the original Edge browser <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're using Firefox or Chrome or IE still, then, you know, the average user is going to be able to get on a computer and get started and learn and be able to do a lot of things productively. Emails generally work pretty good and so forth. Um, you know, it does. It, it takes me back, and I do remember a, a, a speech that Ted had given at an NFB convention, 96, 97 time frame, when Microsoft was rolling out MSAA for the first time. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, hope was that all of the AT companies would embrace and adopt 
this um, MSAA from Microsoft. It's called Microsoft Active Accessibility, and it was supposed to be the the API, so to speak, that we would communicate with. So we wouldn't have to intercept video. We wouldn't do anything on our own. We just wait for Microsoft to deliver the information to us from MSAA, and everything was going to be perfect. And Ted said that um, I remember he he said something to the effect that if if we rely on MSAA to do this then we're always going to be waiting for Microsoft to deliver the information and we're going to lose control of it ourselves and so we never wanted to embrace it if it worked we would use it but we're not going to we're not going to um, forego everything we do in order to to see that through so we didn't embrace it, and we took advantage of it where we could, but we used our other approaches, and we adopted things like the, uh, the object model that's present in applications like Microsoft Office to be able to communicate directly with the application rather than having to use some sort of a bridge to get the information through an accessibility hook that was being implemented that wasn't complete, because the object model, that's the thing that people, uh, when, when, when Microsoft Word has to talk to Microsoft Excel to be able to, to get an update when an Excel spreadsheet changes and it can change something in your Word document, that's all done through the object model. And this is something that sighted people and everybody using Office is tapped into. So that's very complete and it's thorough and it works well. So we were able to tap into that and we made these things work much better, way ahead of MSAA ever getting there. Right. Which it never did. So, hmm. But today they've got UI automation, which of course was developed um, in, and sold to Microsoft and the community as this is a solution to allow automated testing of things, which is a good thing. And that's what a lot of companies wanted to be able to take advantage of and software companies would want to take advantage of. So if they implemented UIA, that would help them make a more robust product. And by the way, it will also expose the information for accessibility. So it kind of crosses the, crosses the T there and dots the I, and they don't have to really think about accessibility as long as they do UIA right. Now, they don't all do UIA right, so we're having to overcome some of those things, but it's, uh, it's getting there. And we see this in the, in the new Edge 2, the Chromium-based Edge browser that released for the first time in January of this year. And uh, out of the box, it just works because it's based on technology uh, that was used with uh, Google Chrome. And uh, because they adopted that, we already worked with it, all of this stuff. It just kind of works. Now, they... You know, there's some UIA work that they still have to do, and you'll see that in this initial release of, uh, of Edge, Chromium-based Edge is struggling right now with, with their own screen reader and narrator in the operating system, but they'll sort out the UIA, and they'll get that, that stuff working better, and, and we still have our ways of working around those problems, so we're able to, to address it and solve it and have JAWS, ZoomText, and Fusion all working 
right out of the box here in, in our February 4th update with this new, new version of Edge. And I think the new version of Edge is going to be widely adopted. Uh, it's, it's, you know, going to be the default browser on every PC when you boot it up. And, uh, and it works pretty good. And you don't have to download Chrome. You don't have to download Firefox to get a good experience going. So, yeah, I think, you know, as as the technology has evolved, we can really focus in on, on making some of those complex things work. Like, you know, we never dreamed of the possibility of being able to do something like flexible web, where you could tell the screen reader to ignore ads on a web page or make sure that you always start reading at this point on a web page when it, when it loads for me in the future. Um, things like that, we were just trying to Right, avoid a blue screen and make the basics work. <laughs> right. And, and today we're really focused on usability and, and and enhancing the experience for the user. So that's a lot of fun. I think affordability too. You know, you, you mentioned Zoom Text and, and Fusion. You know, let's move forward a little bit and talk about the FS portal. You know, can you kind of tell us what that is and you know if that's going to be coming to other countries? It is. And you know, one of the things that we've tried to accomplish was uh, JAWS and, and these products have different prices in different countries depending on what the funding models are like and what the distribution channel is like and so forth. And I mean, it's no, I don't think I'm surprising anyone to tell you that, you know, what the, what the price of the product is does vary from country to country. Well, in, in the U.S. market where there is no uh, or hasn't been really any funding for someone to be able to get access to the technology at home. Uh, we came up with what was called the home use program. We rolled that home use program out about six or seven years ago, and it initially was targeted at if your organization had a big license of the software and it was up to date, then we would be able to provide software to those people that were employed there for their home use at a fraction of the cost. Microsoft actually has a home use program. If you Google Microsoft use at home, you'll find the home use program for Microsoft. And they used to give away software for free to people that worked in organizations. Today, I think they give discounts to them if the organizations have a big license. And and we'll probably look at doing something like that, too, in the future if we can. Um, we moved away from the home use program and created this portal, which allows us to deliver software uh, you know, directly from the, the portal so you don't have to go and download the software. You can buy a license, and when you register on the portal, it knows who you are, it's all tied to your email address, and it puts the license file on your computer, and it downloads the right software, and it keeps everything up to date. You don't have to worry about checking for updates because it's going to get them for you automatically. And it's, it's a really nice solution, and we do intend on trying to roll this out in other countries, but we're going to go through our distribution channel to do that because they're so important. They're important for the support side of it. They're important for the sales and marketing side of it. And, um, 
and so we just we have to be able to step slowly with it. We would have liked to have been further along at this point, but we're still not there yet. But we are committed to it, and, and we will get it done. But uh, you know, here in the United States, we have a lot of people now that do take advantage of the home use program. They can get Jaws Zoom Text Infusion Home Edition, and they can buy it one year at a time, three year at a time, or five year at a time. And uh, we'll try and roll some solution out. And it could take a different form in different countries. Like there might just be a, a five-year version where if there is a funding organization that takes care of helping people out with a solution every five years, we're probably better off just selling a five-year product in that market. So it'll it'll vary from, from location to location, I'm sure. Right. And then, you know, we've also driven the cost of other technologies down, like Braille displays. When I when I first came into this industry, if you wanted to go out and buy a 40 cell Braille display, it was five thousand dollars, maybe even more. And uh, we were, I think, at the forefront of changing some of the Braille technology, and drove the price down uh, by almost half at this point. So you can get a, a great 40 cell display in, a, in the 25 to 2700 US dollar range now. And, uh, and prices are going to continue to come down as the technology continues to evolve. Unfortunately, it's a very small niche industry. Mm-hmm. Yep. There just aren't that many, um, very few products, whether it be hardware or software, that get sold and that forces the prices to to stay much higher because it's it's just not it's just not that market size. And 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 sorry to do this, Eric, but you, you brought up Braille display, so I have to ask, when is the new L Braille forty coming out? <laughs> you know, I I know everybody is interested, <laughs> and I'm telling you, the the wait's going to be worth it. I've gotten my hands on this thing, and while it's a, a little bigger than your average note taker. Uh, to me, the beauty of having a note taker that's a real Windows PC that I can remote desktop to my work computer from a distance and use all the same applications and use my JAWS license that I had on my regular PC on my note taker too. Mm-hmm. And then in the future when something goes wrong and I want to change and get a, a newer computer-based note taker, I can disconnect and take my 40-cell Braille display out, and I still have a 40-cell Braille display. Right. And don't have to lose it. So, I mean, uh, everything about L Braille I absolutely love. And they are in the process of working through uh, getting the deployment done here in the U.S. It's tricky getting the image set up and be able to replicate it and make sure everything works right. So I know they're working through that stuff right now. I, I have to believe that we're going to, show up at CSUN here in early March, <laughs> and we are absolutely going to be distributing. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of orders in. For sure. A lot of people are anxious to get it, and, and nobody is nobody is more anxious to see this movie <laughs> than us. Yeah. Are there plans to also upgrade the Elbrell 14? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think that I would imagine they're going to try and create a 14 cell version with the same processor as well. I don't know that they'll be able to do anything with the existing ones that are out there. But right. yeah, I would imagine they're going to build a 14 cell version like the 40 also. But 
the one you know if you're running a pc here's the thing if you're running a pc you're probably going to run um, applications like word or excel or outlook and in those cases having a 40 cell display is so much nicer than a 14 cell display sure. 14 cells are great for text messages right. and quick things but you know, if you're going to work with a real PC, get a 40-cell version. You'll be much happier. Can you can you give us any sort of sneak peek at, at maybe what's coming next for JAWS? Sure. Um, so just to uh, – maybe I should go back because you did ask me how what the development is like. And sure. I, I'll tell you, we, we're kind of gotten into this – this mode over the past few years, and I'm much happier with it than, than the way we used to do things. Um, in the past, we would try and come out with a release, of course, in October, which would be our SMA release, and the development people um, would work on uh, features for that release for the year leading up to it. And so sometimes they'd go away and they'd be developing and, and changing things for four, five, six months before we would get a build that we would be able to share with anybody. And we'd have all kinds of changes in the software. And something, you know, you'd put it out and, and then people would call back and say, hey, this doesn't work the same way it used to work. And when a new release would come out, a lot of users wouldn't touch the new release. They'd wait <laughs> three or four months until we settled it down, until yeah. we got everything ironed out. So we've gone away from that, and we started uh, really on a six-week cadence to keep up. And it's, and it's been good for a couple of reasons. One is we're not introducing lots of changes in any update that comes out like that. Right. So... So we really, we really have an opportunity, and, and, and of course, we're running those builds as we're leading up towards that update. Uh, so, like, there's an update that's scheduled for the Tuesday following CSUN, which I, I think is going to be somewhere around the 19th of the month or something like the 20th of the month, something like that, third week in March. Mm -hmm. Well, we're already running that build now. We've got, you know, lots of changes. There are still some changes going into it, but we've got a bunch of people now that are already running that software, and it just went out. I, I know a beta build is going out today, as a matter of fact, as we record this. Um, so we have a lot of people running the release, and when it goes out, I don't worry that we're going to be breaking people's computers. There's, <laughs> right. there's tens of thousands of people out there that will get these updates when they come out. Mm -hmm. And if we mess something up, it could be a real disaster for everyone. So the short cycle has really helped. And then we also, as, as we brought Zoom text into the fold with us here at Freedom Scientific, we always build JAWS, Zoom text, and Fusion at the same time. So we're not just developing in one product. We're developing in multiple products, and we build them all at the same time, and then we test them all together so that really helps to ensure that things improve greatly in in the fact that they'll get along and they'll they'll work right together and they're in sync and of course we went over to this annual release cycle so we come out in october just like with a an automobile 
that comes out with the 2020 version in the fall of 2019, we do the same thing with our software. So the 2020 right. versions all hit in October, and we will update those things right up through probably January next year. There'll be updates coming out for that, that 2020 version. And when the 2021 release comes out in October, it will it will not be loaded with lots of changes that they didn't get during the year because we're going to keep releasing right. things. So the Braille viewer and the text viewer are things that I've been talking about for a couple of years, and we've had to keep slipping it because other things have, have come up that have had to take the developers off of it. But we have the team back on this, and to me, this is going to be one of the greatest changes that we've made for a while. Uh, this is a feature that will show you the actual text in a window that's being typed or read on the screen and directly under it you'll see the output of braille um, what the dot configuration is and a link between the two so you'll know if it if it's a sighted teacher looking at the screen they can tell you know which dots which dots go with which words right and you'll be able to, you know, if you don't want the, the uh, Braille, if you're just using magnification, for instance, you can just have the text viewer up there, and it will take whatever is being read, whatever the size, whatever the color on screen, and it will put it in the text viewer and uh, always make it the same size and same fonts, make it much easier to read but it will have a highlight back on screen so you'll be able to know exactly where that text is located. And uh, that's all being updated for JAWS and for Fusion uh, and should hit, uh, it, won't, it won't hit in March and maybe not in April, but I would think May at the latest. And uh, we're, doing, uh, we're doing quite a bit with some other areas in the product that we're trying to get focused on, like especially in the education space, so mathematics, mm -hmm. and we're trying to stay, we're working closely with Google as well on, on Google Docs and Sheets and trying to continue to make that a better experience for um, education. Just to quickly talk about one more feature in JAWS that you guys <clears throat> have incorporated, um, the OCR functionality. You know, are there, well, what's kind of the plan for the JAWS OCR? Is it to replace OpenBook, since there's been no real development, I think, on OpenBook for a while? Yeah, I think uh, that would be the goal, is to continue to evolve the OCR experience that's built into screen reading and screen magnification software. Uh, just build it right in. Right. Um, I would like us to get to a point where we could... OCR direct to Word, mm -hmm. um, things like that, instead of just putting it into a, a virtual buffer. Right. And uh, so, yeah, there's some there's some uh, areas there where I think we'll continue to, to build into our software and, and improve it there. At some point, it may make sense to make another uh, product like an open book. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the open book technology was built on... 1990, 1989 original development, right? And there hadn't been much change in that code over the past ten years. So, uh, 
fortunately, it still works. Yep. We've had to continue to modify the installer and so forth, but in general, it's a standalone application, and it still runs really well, and it serves a great purpose. I mean, for people who are scanning a lot of material and doing a lot of reading yeah. of books and things like that, it's, the product like that is invaluable. Absolutely. Jeez, 1989. People, Miami Vice was still on TV in 1989. That's how old that is. <laughs> Eric, listen, uh, it was an absolute delight talking to you. Uh, we, we, again, we really appreciate uh, you taking some time and talking with us. Before we let you go, because uh, I know you got to run away, um, is there anything you want to plug? A, a, where can people find JAWS if they're, if they're interested or more information about any sort of programs that you guys have? Uh, plug away. So I, I think one of the things that I would like to make sure that people are aware of, and if you haven't checked it out, please do. Uh, if you go to the Freedom Scientific um, homepage and go to training, um, we've, in, we've really expanded the group there. You know, everybody's known Dan Clark for years uh, who's been working on this stuff. Well, Dan's, you know, got other people in the training department now. Rachel Buchanan is heading it up and Elizabeth Whitaker is there with them and they're producing webinars on a monthly basis that are free and they're updating a YouTube channel to give short bites of information to help people learn things and they've updated the basic training materials. So with the release of 2020 we've got uh, an updated basic training that's in JAWS. So for trainers or for teachers uh, who are looking for resources, this is a great place to go get all this free material and use it, modify it, use it any way that you would want to to try and teach folks. So I would drive people into that training area. And of course, take advantage of our resource up there in Canada uh, with the Optelec office and the string of dealers across the, the country that work with them. Uh, we've got an awful lot of folks out there that are, you know, that do training and, and script writing and things like that. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great resource for the folks up there in Canada. And uh, take advantage of updates. When things uh, come out, when updates come out, please go get that stuff because the operating system's changing fast. Office apps, browsers, everything is changing and we're trying to keep up with them, but we can't update the older version. So we just need people to get on current software and stay up to date. So. Perfect. Okay, Eric. Well, again, thanks a lot and uh, take care. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye. That was a nice walk down memory lane. You yeah, know? no was, kidding, man. It was, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we went that direction. Man, 1995 <laughs> computers, man, I forgot about those. Yeah, but it was, it was a crazy time. Like, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what our age demographic of our listeners. I remember, are, but I mean that. Yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, you'd have to upgrade your computer like every year, I otherwise remember, it would be obsolete. Yeah, I remember 1997. You know, I lost my sight in 95. In 1997, I got my first computer. It was Windows 95. It had JAWS 3.2 on it. I had OpenBook. I had a Braille and Speak note taker. And, you know, things, you know, like you talked about, the blue screen of death. You know, JAWS sure. had something called Dr. JAWS where it would go in and, you know, try to figure things out for you or set things up for you. 
but it was such a different time. It yeah. really was. And so I, I imagine like developing something as complex as a screen reader during that time, uh, these guys must have just lost sleep. You know, and one of the things that, you know, I, I would have liked to have said if we had some time, but I mean, really, you have to give a lot of credit to to Jaws and all the people that worked on it for all those years because they really blazed the trail in terms of developing this this technology that allowed so many people uh, to use not only just computers. I mean, if you think of, of of screen readers in general, like everything from from using them on computers to using them on smartphones. I mean, these guys were integral to to making that technology work. Well, and okay. everybody else since then has sort of you know you know developed developed their own thing, but you know they're standing on their shoulders. Yeah, and like Eric mentioned, you know there were a couple earlier um, software products as well, like Window Bridge and ProTalk. You know, there was a screen reader for OS 2. You know, the one thing we didn't get to touch on, and I, I just thought of it now, of course, is there's also a JAWS version for kiosks, right? Mm. So, you know, how, how long is it going to be before you could actually walk into McDonald's, you know, do a three-finger double tap, bring up the speech, and be able to place your own order through a touchscreen kiosk? That'd be amazing. Right? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that technology, like you say, is all built on the back of, you know, these initial... Yep. engineers who yeah. had the vision you know and you understand that that you know like anything else um you know it, it's there, there's there's competition across the board i mean there are other screen readers out there yep. um but at the end of the day the important part is that this is this is technology that was developed that is helping people on a daily basis yep. like the the you know and you're you know you're you're a perfect Example, Ryan. I mean, how, how big of an impact did something like Jaws have for you? You know, on your on your first computer. I mean, it must have been a huge quality of life improvement for you. That's my dial-up modem <laughs> that I had on my first computer, but it gave me access to the outside world. Yeah, you know, it absolutely. got me online. It gave me access to, like you said, email, Microsoft Word. Mm -hmm. You know, it. It gave me the opportunity to go back to school. It gave me the options of employment. Yep. And without any of that, you know, I'd be stuck in the guitar dungeon, you know, playing video games, watching movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, it can't be under understated, I think, that, no. uh, that the work that, that they put in over the years um, has just, you know, made... Has changed life. lives. Yeah, yeah. Has, has made life better for so many people, and they deserve, you know, accolades for that. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I like to think of the whole assistive technology field, whether you have competing companies or not, they're, everybody's working towards the same goal, which is, you know, to, to make life better yep. for people. And, you know, again, you know, he talked about why he entered the field and why he stayed in the field. And we, you know, we sort of talked the same about the same thing for ourselves. And at the end of the day, that's what drives all of us. You know, we we like the industry because we like helping people. But I mean, God, I mean, this, the amount of sleepless nights they must have had, the developers must have had, and even the, the tech support people. I mean, every time a, a new Windows version came out, they must have just been like, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah. Or a new, or if it wasn't a, a new um, Windows version, it was a new version of Office, or it was a new version of whatever. 
Um, well, think about all the computer configurations that are out there. It's oh, not like yeah. everybody's just working on uh, an HP or a Dell that has an i5 processor, 8 gigs of RAM. You know, like I had Freedom Scientific, like Eric said, just released an update in early February for JAWS. And one of the features in the new update was this, you know, JAWS stop saying this Alt-R description tag you would get on different elements on a website. Well, I was still getting that even after updating. So I emailed, you know, Freedom Scientific's tech support, and they weren't able to reproduce it, you know. So we went back and forth a couple times. And just to show, you know, for me anyway, how experienced they are, you know, they suggested go in and, you know, rename your, your Chrome, your, your JAWS Chrome script files, and then have Chrome reload, and it'll just rename them all. And that solved the problem. You know, so being a being a developer, being a software tech support, being a beta tester, there's so many different browsers and yeah. versions of Windows and configurations of systems that it's just got to be, like you say, it's got to be a daunting task. And I mean, in ways it's better today, but I'm sure in ways it's almost worse because at least back then you didn't have hundreds, literally hundreds of different programs or apps like being developed or being released mm. on a daily basis. You mean, you think, you think about the, the amount of software out there today and how something like JAWS needs to ideally work with, with everything or as much as it possibly can. Um, you know, those, uh, that's, that's, that's not easy. And, you know, at least in the, in the nineties, the, the, the hardware and the software may have been changing fairly regularly but at least there wasn't that sheer volume of software out there that right. it needed to work with there wasn't four five six different browsers um that it needed to to try to to um, coordinate with it was there was two yeah um so yeah we're in a good place now but we are we definitely it sounds like we they're definitely in a better place and i think that you know the the big advantage of doing this FS portal that way is that again is the idea of incremental improvements and updates rather than this huge big um, update every six months um, is probably a much better experience for the developers but it's also probably going to be a, a lot better experience for the users as well because things aren't changing dramatically for for you know, in terms of the user experience so Memories. Yeah, I know. Now I'm all waxing nostalgic <laughs> about my first, my first Pentium. Yep. Uh, I wonder where it is. Can get it in storage. Really? No, actually, no, probably not. I'm sure I junked it by now. That but man, they, should, they we, we, they should, they should, they should have a computer museum. Oh, I'm you sure just there go is. in and like remember what it was like yeah. computing on. You know, a Pentium One. <laughs> yep. Just be like doing something, and then just boop, blue screen of death. Something crashed it. Oh, locked up. Yeah. Up. Oh. No, those were the days. Restart. Yep. And wait ten minutes to restart. No, hold on. I got to start up ICQ. <laughs> <laughs> AOL That's Messenger. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah. good lord. Hmm. Wow. No, anything else to say about that? No. Did I don't he answer so. all your questions? Yep, absolutely. Are you excited about this new L Braille? 
Um, I am just because, you know, like he's, like he mentioned, you know, it's going to be faster. They put a lot of work into it. So they've got a, a better, faster processor, uh, eight gigs of RAM. Um, you know, you can still use your existing jaws and your existing 40 cell focus braille display. So there's a lot of people waiting for it that are, you know, anticipating its, its release. And, you know, hopefully there will be some sort of upgrade path that people can take advantage of, but stay tuned because as soon as we hear when it's available, we will definitely let everybody know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will. I think the real big thing here, too, is that in, in terms of Canada is, is going to be the FS portal. Yeah. It's going to be a big, that's going to be a, a big change. I, I can really see there's so many, so many different programs are, are going that subscription model. Yep. And it just makes so much more sense for both the consumer because, you know, they're not, they're not faced with a huge, um, cost it's you know it's much easier for people to afford a, a monthly rate as opposed to you know dropping you know a thousand dollars yeah the portal the portal for jaws though isn't monthly it's yearly so it's one year three year or five year oh is it okay yeah. but still even even so oh, absolutely. Mean, it's going to be a lot more affordable than yeah and it'll be interesting to see how they work that out with the distributors um you know because he mentioned whoops it's going to be different in different regions so Mm-hmm. We'll have to wait and see because, you know, as it is right now, I believe a one-year license of JAWS from the FS portal is like $99. So, oh, wow. You know, what, wow, that's what do amazing. They, you know, and how does that work for their distributors? Do they get a percentage of that? Do they get, you know, I have no idea how that all works, right? Yeah. So we'll have yep. to wait and see. But, yeah, anything to bring the cost down of uh, yep. screen reading and independence for people is, is I'm all for well, and I think that you know they're they're faced with you know again there there are there there are comp- competitive factors and and you know, the market that you have to look at, yeah. and it's just I'm sure for them it's it's getting a little bit hard to compete with some of the other options out there that are you know lower cost yeah. or, or free in some cases, yeah. um, and you know and I'm sure that they have to look at that. So, but again, you know the important thing about all of this is that you know the, the people who need it have have you know choice in terms of, of what they can use yeah absolutely and I, you know again I'll go back to what I've mentioned in the past is you know sometimes you get what you pay for you know you, you pay for jaws you have access to live people at the end of a phone for tech support um, or through your distributor for tech support um, all these resources for training and, and so on um, are available with some of these free products those are paid services so, you know, yeah, your screen reader part might be free, but again, you know, if you want training, some of that's paid for support is done through email lists. You know, it's not always convenient for everybody. So one tool doesn't, doesn't work for everybody. Uh, all right. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com they can also find us on Facebook they can find us on Instagram they can find us on Twitter they can find us everywhere that's right even on your smart device you're correct Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, all right well 
Hey, you want to tickle people with a feather about next week's show? Or no? Tickle people with a feather? No. I think we should start doing that. Why yeah, not? I thought about it too. I think we should tease. But then, you know, I thought about it too, but then it gives them a chance to bail on it without having to nah, listen to it first. They don't read the show notes anyways. <laughs> you don't give our audience, our hardcore fans, All right. enough credit. Next week, we are talking with a returning guest about his journey to the Paralympics. All right. Well, that is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Big thanks to Eric Damery. Vice President, Software Products Management at Vespero. Man, look at that. <laughs> you, you came to rehearsals yesterday. <laughs> we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.